How's it going, Frank? Ah, pretty good. You know, it seems to be hot everywhere in the world this summer. I guess that's summer. (laughs) Yeah, you're back in Seattle, correct? I am, and I was looking forward to 60 degrees and clouds, but instead it's like 80 and 90 degrees and sunny. I'm like, I don't even recognize this place. No, so you came back to Seattle during the literally two weeks of the year where everyone is freaking out because it's so hot and (laughs) I need to go buy an AC unit that I'm going to use for two weeks. That's the time of year. I've considered it. Haven't done it. Well, relative to New York, it's actually not so bad. So I'm actually used to being constantly sweaty. If that's a good thing or not, I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's a good. It's good today. I just rode 13 miles on my bike, and you oh know, I'm yeah, feeling good. It was there a breeze. Uh, yeah, there was a breeze across the 520 bridge. It was nice. I mean, it was solid. I didn't fall. I didn't tumble. No one ran into me. There's a big trend in these e-bikes though, and the e-bikes that oh, go yeah. real fast. I don't like that. I don't like it. Yeah, they shoot right by you, even going uphill. <laughs> yes, I, I like I like e bikes. Don't get me wrong; I think that they're good, but I don't like these ones that essentially are these huge tires, huge things, and they're <laughs> barely pedaling to move, or sometimes not even pedaling at all. That's not a bike. Um, uh, I'm not going to give an opinion here because it looks like uh, the majority of the New York economy relies on those bikes these days. Like every courier messenger is using those bikes, so it's like. Well, I don't want to see them suffer, so I'm, I'm going to have to go on their side. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I un- I understand that San Francisco has undergone the roller, razor, scooter, right. electric transition. So I don't know what's happening <laughs> in the world. I'm hoping we'll get them in Seattle so we can have the same plague. I, I'm, I'm hoping it's a good kind of plague. You want to know a secret? Hmm. So I actually secretly love e-bikes because I take those lime e-bikes <laughs> that are around the city and I'm like, oh my mm-hmm. goodness, look at me go up this hill. Wee! They're um, so good for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's my, that's my, I, I'm secretly in love with them. So don't, don't let me put anything down. This is the old, uh, the horseman saying, oh, I don't like you automobile, but that's such a tired and old story. Never mind. <laughs> it's true. Get out of here. Get out of here. I need those bikes. Um, okay. <laughs> so. This week, a little bit something different. We actually boiled down some listener questions uh, to a very Mm. interesting topic. And this is actually from Sean. Sean wrote in uh, and actually tweeted at us back in the day, maybe about a month ago. And he was asking, hey, I just found your show. Where do I get started? And if you're getting started with Merge Conflict, I gave him this recommendation, which was right around 100, we did a big celebration. So if you want to kind of listen to a reboot of what the show is about, that's a pretty good one to start at. And then after that, one, subscribe so you get the latest episodes, but just look at the the topics. And we make these episodes, so almost all of the episodes live independently, so you can just mix and match whatever you want. There's really no reliance or timestamps, mm-hmm. right? I still kind of want a ranking of what's our most popular episodes, though, so we mm-hmm. should have that top 10. That, I think that's always a good place to get started. Don't you want to start with the best episodes? I think there's like chronological people and then people like me who just want to hear the good stuff. <laughs> that's true. I should. We should do a blog post. We did survey our Twitter uh, listeners, and I'll put those together for next week. I'll do that. How's that sound? Oh, I love giving you work. Great. Good. <laughs> Even more work for James. Well, he wrote into the show and he's like, I'm really enjoying the show. We appreciate that. I hope that you left a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, And he said that he was um, on his way home from hanging out with some buddies. I'm paraphrasing here. And he, they kind of got this question stuck in the head, which when does convenience beat performance? Like when does it trump performance as far as when you're developing applications? And his kind of line of conversation is that 
when you think about cross-platform user interfaces, that's a convenience or that's a way of of writing once and deploying everywhere or doing maybe cross-platform controls or libraries or plugins. And those have maybe some implications of performance or other limitations. Sometimes you need to get down mm-hmm. to the metal. Um, and he said he was been, he's been building an application. They're really proud of it. But there's also the upfront cost, but then sometimes down the road costs of you need to tweak the itty bitty, you know, optimizations such as, you know, bitmaps or handling older devices yeah. or things like that. So I originally boiled this down to performance versus convenience <laughs> versus technology. And then you thought a little bit different, Frank. So maybe you can describe how you see this. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll try. Um, so I guess the question, the, the original starting point was convenience versus performance. And performance is such a nebulous term. It's kind of hard to address this, really. So I think we'll just have to dive into specifics. But um, when we were reading through this, I was telling you that I don't really make this decision. Instead, I tend to start with I tend to start with a device, actually. And I think on the device, oh, what kind of app do I want on here? And then I think of the app on the device. It never occurs to me, um, how would I write it? <laughs> you know, I kind of <laughs> yeah. ignore that question. Um, what, what framework would I use? All that stuff. Those are engineering decisions that honestly, I don't really care about kind of in the beginning. And so from the beginning, I conceptualize every app as being on a device. And then everything from there, developer convenience and all that, just kind of, you know, I do my best, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's second it's second citizen to the first primary task of create a great app for this device. I, I, I usually think of, I guess I don't look at the device sometimes. Well, I, sometimes I do. Like a good example of, I think what you're talking about is I built my step counter for Android. And that was an instance where I was specifically developing an application where I, I only wanted to target Android and I was targeting mm. for specific hardware that had pedometers. So like my app. Yeah was around, at that time, it was two devices that supported it. So my app was supported at that time too, and it has grown into thousands of Android devices that include a pedometer. But this was maybe mm, four years ago, right before it was common. I think iOS 7 maybe added the core motion APIs. Oh, I think we had a little sooner, but you might be right for that stepping stepping API. Yeah, Yeah. I don't remember. So is that the type of thing where you're like, oh, I'm I'm building a pedometer (sighs) for this hardware? You know, that's a great point. And again, I didn't consider that. <laughs> um, definitely, um, I do think about writing the apps that chase the hardware. Don't you always want to do that when AR kit comes out? You want to write an AR app. When the step counter comes out, you want to write a stepping app, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I get those urges, but I tend not to write those kinds of apps. So when I'm talking about the device, I'm thinking kind of a little bigger of like, in a sci-fi movie, <laughs> what could I use this device for? Not so much what is Apple telling me to push this year or anything like that. So um, uh, an example, all my apps were always limited by the device. My very first app was a bus tracker in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I was adamant that I showed real-time buses drawn on the screen in real time. And you couldn't use the maps, the built-in maps for this. So I wrote my own mapping software. I wrote my own OpenGL engine for that. I wrote all my own animation stuff. And the whole time, I was using this ridiculously slow device that just was not designed for any of this stuff. And so the whole aesthetic of the app, the UI of the app, all the design of the app came from the device. It never occurred to me to say, like... um, 
here's my framework. How would I write this app in that framework? It was always, no, this is the app I want. Ah, I see what you're saying. That that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, and, and I I kind of apply that to, you know, what is happening in the hardware world where this is a watch, right? Or this is a television and I'm going to build an mm-hmm. app for that television. And yeah. then my decisions come around that. And this actually gets to how I said, I look at it. I said, I look at it a little bit different, Frank. I look at it of well, what am I building? <laughs> like, what am I yeah. physically building? <laughs> and uh, sometimes that is, is I look at it more of, I have this idea of, I want to build this where I have this idea and then I go about building it. And there's evolutionary steps there. And I thought that it would be kind of interesting since we talked about ghost and my trials and tribulations of handlebars and all that stuff is how I actually apply his convenience versus performance versus actually developer centric knowledge to my blog and my website and mm-hmm. and things. So you and I, we both started our blogs. Uh, well, I used to make my own blog from scratch, but when I moved into the 21st yeah. century, I was like, hmm, I'll just use Tumblr. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to know you did it from scratch. I did it from scratch too. I think my first one was an ASP site written in JavaScript. I had to be very hipster at the time. I used a, uh, a CMS software called Gray Matter. It was PHP. Hmm. And oh, I don't know that one. It was very old. I've used it since I was in my early teens, so about 20 some odd years ago. <laughs> and I've been blogging for, yeah, 20 some odd years of my life. And uh, and I would do my own layouts in Photoshop, cut them out and put them in HTML and <laughs> do the whole thing. Very, very old school kind of development. And when I moved over to the web, I wasn't a web developer. So I was like, I'm just going to use Tumblr. That seems like, that seems good, right? And that lasted me for a while. It was like, it was a blog, but and it had all the conveniences of it. Automatically had CMS and it could tie to Twitter mm-hmm. and it could do all the things that I thought it would ever could do. And I could <laughs> tweak a few HTML things and I was a happy camper. It was also the, it was a cool place to be too. Don't forget that. Tumblr was fun. It was also the cool, all the cool kids were hanging out on the tumblers <laughs> and you could paste little photos, audio clips and whatnot. So <laughs> not the greatest for technical blogs, though, it turns out this became a big problem. Technical blogs, also branding, advertisements, uh, custom pages. It just wasn't built for that. It was built for mm-hmm. small little tumbles, Tumblr. It's a Tumblr. It's a Tumblr <laughs> blog, uh-huh. micro blogging. And uh, so when I when I went, I had a decision to make. And I knew then what I wanted to build. I wanted to build, I wanted to build a grand website. And this grand website would need a full CMS system. I wanted to be able to do static pages, full um, customization of my blogs. I wanted to be able to insert advertisements. I wanted newsletter capabilities. I wanted all mm. of these things. And I had decisions. Yeah. I had decisions. <laughs> I could build that. Ugh. Yeah, I could not very convenient, (laughs) not very convenient. I could pick a technology that was very, very widely accepted and required not a lot of code for me to be written, which would have been like WordPress. Like you could do that in WordPress. Yeah, Yeah. everyone does everything in WordPress. Everyone does everything in WordPress. And I'd use WordPress for many a moons, but I knew that I wasn't going to get the optimal, you know, tweaks and tunes and little finesse that I would want. Mm -hmm. So I went with Ghost. And that was like the cool, the cool kid on the block. I was a Kickstarter backer, but I knew nothing, right? I didn't know. I didn't know anything about the theming. I didn't know anything about how it was architected. I didn't even know how to run it. And 
This was a big challenge to overcome. And boy, am I glad that I went this route because in the beginning, it was a struggle. I had my friend Luke. He's a web developer. I had him help me, had him guide me through the process. And he did some tweaks, you know, helped me out. And now in the last year, he hasn't had to because I'm able to set up everything on my machine. I mean, after a half an hour, but now like I would say I'd be able to get it up and running in five minutes. I'm able to make tweaks, tunes, input JavaScript, modify the JavaScript, whatever, you know, the handlebars, the, the SAS. And I'm like a better developer for actually figuring that out. I'm like, I'm pretty proud of myself. It's not the best thing in the entire world, but I'm really proud of my website. And it gives me that optimization that I can finally tune and tweak. Like what was my business requirement there? My business requirement was that I wanted all of these micro optimizations to make it the most optimized thing. But I also didn't want to build everything, right? So I actually had a, tra- I have a trade-off. My trade-off is that I'm using Ghost, not that I, bu- I didn't build it myself. Yeah. And I think that was my big trade-off. And yeah. I'm good. Yeah, that's that's the hardest part to figure out when you're doing this shopping around, right? Like, where do I draw the boundary? People talk about this all the time in um, the serverless world. Like, where do you draw boundaries? Like, do I do this much locally or do I, you know, branch off and do something else here? So th- th- that's, I, this is funny in the uh, convenience versus performance thing. Like, you kind of don't have to worry about performance, right? You're like being mm-hmm. hosted. So this website should theoretically run great on everyone's devices, all that stuff. So what you're just, you're focusing on the convenience part. Like, how can I actually build out the thing that I want here? Yeah. And um, yeah, that's, and that's always the problem with software too. Like, so you want a CMS that has everything that you don't want to work on baked in and everything you do want to work on configurable. And that's just such a fine line to find. So I'm glad you found Ghost, but like, you know, this happens in libraries when you're shopping around on Nougat. It's like, I want the library to do all this stuff for me, but I also want to be able to poke into this little part and change this little thing. And so it's always this shopping process and finding these boundaries. I think we call that the escape hatch. Like, how can you, (laughs) how easily can you drop down out of it to get to it? And actually, that's a good a good segue to the other web. This is actually going to be pretty web focused on my end because that's where I feel I've recently <laughs> been making decisions. But my blog, you know, my, my not my blog, but my podcast network, soundbite.fm, which is where this baby, it comes from. Merge Conflict comes from soundbite.fm. You can go there and listen to all of our great podcasts. Uh, <laughs> and in that one, I was actually going to build everything from scratch. And my business requirement there was it was a full custom design that I was doing from the top of my head. I did not need a CMS. I needed all static pages. I was comfortable with deploying it myself. Um, And the only big thing I needed was RSS aggregation. And I had a library that that worked in ASP.NET. So what kind of website did I build? (laughs) ASP.NET Core. Uh, But then I was like, okay, well, I don't know anything about ASP.NET Core. So I'm going to use (laughs) Wii and use Xamarin Forms UI (laughs) to build the entire front end. And I knew with the limitations going in that I you know, would have to do some tweaks and tunes to make it work on mobile. And it's still not perfect. It's better, but it's optimized for desktop. I was okay with that. But I was able to be super productive and make that website and give me everything I want. And the trade-off there is that I gave up a lot, right? I gave up that CMS system. I gave up, you know, being able to go into a nice editor and everything is in code. But I do have that escape hatch that if I want to go into just core ASP.NET core and into a controller and write a custom razor page, I could do that because you're 
your framework's actually very <laughs> flexible. Yeah, I think that's what you always have to do um, is provide as, or I guess this is me being a chicken. I'm always trying to provide as many escape hatches as I can. That's why I always get frustrated with the internal keyword in people's libraries. I'm like, just make it public. You know, if you needed to call that function, probably I'm going to need to call that function. I need need that level of access. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Do you have anything to say about internal? Do we have a bell for internal? Internal thing. Oh, I'm sure you're going to love Xamarin Essentials. We got lots of internals going on. Um, well, let's before we get any further, let's take a very, very short break and thank our sponsor this week, Frank, our good friends over at SyncFusion. Talking about Escape Hatch when you need something built and you don't have time, SyncFusion. They basically do everything that you possibly need when you need to deliver awesomeness to your websites and your mobile applications. They have more than 800 components and frameworks for .NET and JavaScript platforms, whether it's desktop, mobile, web, they have you covered. They have beautiful charts, graphs, controls, list view, Kanban boards, all these things built and optimized for each platform. What I love about it, it's not only do they have the great controls that you can integrate, but they also have great libraries that you can integrate to do things like Word and PDF processing, Excel processing and visualization. And they have it so you can just like start drawing on a PDF. Like you just drag in a control and it's done. It's there for you. I simply use it. I use Syncfusion in my personal applications for all my charts and graphing needs. What's great is that they have a free community edition that you can get started with today. If you're a big enterprise, they have a free trial so you can try out all of their controls. And then whatever you're building, flat rate fee for any platform. So where do you go to learn more? Well, you go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict, syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. And thanks for Syncfusion for sponsoring this episode of Merge Conflict. What a perfect sponsor. (laughs) Talking about convenience. (laughs) And we did not plan that at all. No planning. It just happened. (laughs) All right. So I I do want to go on record um, because I was sounding like very high and muddy about like being app centric and device centric. I do think about convenience a lot too. It it does come up. And I try to think of it in just um, more like maintenance terms. So I'm um, I'm trying to make it convenient in the future for me to work on the apps. I, I like to think of it in that way, too. And so that usually boils down to me writing as little amount of code as I possibly can. And that's when I start looking into big frameworks and big libraries that can take as much code out of my app as possible. Yeah, well, and and probably those frameworks. The question is like, do you think about the flexibility of that escape hatch of that framework? Like, oh, yeah. how do you go into making that? Oh yeah, I I can't feel constrained. Like that that's the most frustrating thing. You don't want to get into a library that just starts limiting you. Like even we, um, we ha- is supposed to have a one to one matching with HTML. You should be able to create every HTML control you possibly can in we. But the truth is, I haven't mapped every single control. But there's a very simple escape hatch. You can just new up any class you want, tell it what element it's supposed to be, that works. And so I hope that when people shop around for libraries, they look at that kind of stuff too, because it's important. Like, uh, what if we was doing something you didn't like on Soundbite? I just knew that even with the NuGet package, we'd be able to work around it because <laughs> this is bad design, but most things are just public in it. And so you can pretty much work around any problem in the library. Well, actually, that's a good point. And in fact, when I was building Soundbite, there were a lot of <laughs> limitations that I couldn't do. And in fact, I couldn't ship my website until Frank added features or I added features to it. And that was something that frustrated me at the beginning. And 
it wasn't that I was frustrated at Frank. It was a frustration that I didn't do my research. Like I knew mm-hmm. what I wanted to build. Mm-hmm. I didn't do my research to see if it was in there. Cause in my mind, I was like, it's Frank's library. It can do everything, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it can, it's a, it comes from, <laughs> yeah, it comes from Microsoft. It can do everything, right? That's, <laughs> that's the mind. Like, Oh no, it can't do everything yeah. by, by virtue that like, that's, that's the idea. Or like, maybe I don't even know how to do things, even if it is possible. Well, I wrote a whole website, fugit.org, for this very topic of, okay, that's great. That's what your public API is. But what can I really do with your library? I want to see everything inside of these assemblies, even the private stuff, because we have reflection and I can still access that. It's still there. I'm going to use it. It's still there. That's true. Did you know the number one package on fugit.org is system io pipelines i think we had something to do with that oh did we drive traffic oof that feels dirty we had to synergy we had to (laughs) something like that (laughs) yeah must be that's cool yeah i mean i also i i look at i do look at the library and yeah things are there and you know i take into consideration like how active is the community how likely can i if i needed a fix right the very first thing i did when I was waiting for Frank to do stuff with Wii, I just forked his library and then I just made the changes myself. And I go, all right, I can use my own flavor. Like that is flexibility. Like yeah. that it's finest. Like I control your code. <laughs> you know, that's uh that's the rare setting. That's what <laughs> Handsome always is like, how do you like your tofu? Like how rare do your tofu do you want it? And that's straight out of uh straight out of the package it's still in the freezer it's still in the in the in the refrigerator section like that's how this, this, that's how oh gross God. and this gross an- and disturbing that tofu is this analogy is just completely out of control dude <laughs> well so- it should be your steak but you know if we have vegetarians or vegans watching then you know we want to be you know independent so okay i'm gonna try to pull <laughs> it tofu. back <laughs> <laughs> go for it uh libraries right so Xamarin Forms, right? Let's get to the heart of it. The big cross-platform library that we all love to use. Um, mm-hmm. Is that a starting point for you? Or do you take an app-centric thing? Or are you just like, um, whatever idea I have, you, you said you come up with an idea first. Is it just like, okay, I'm going to write it and I'm going to start in Xamarin Forms right now? Or do you actually say, um, this is just a TV app and I'm just going to use Apple's SDK for it? I know you wouldn't, but yeah. So, so it, it, uh, yeah, yeah, this is a great question. So I take a device centric look first. Am I developing for mobile and tablet devices? Mm -hmm. And if so, I'm just going to use Xamarin forms. Like it's going to be my de facto go-to, uh, there. And, and also based on like what app I'm building, right? If, if I'm building an application, like this is a good example is I, how many screens do I think are going to be in my application? How complex is it? I was working with some, we did a Xamarin show with a, a few interns. It was amazing. I don't know if you ever saw this. They made a, I'm going to find it for you while we're doing it. It's a mobile chest x-ray analysis application from the Microsoft Garage. Did you see this? No. So you upload an x-ray photo to it? Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. So these this team of like three or four interns they from their Microsoft garage, you can take a photo or you can upload a photo of a, of an X-ray, a mobile chest X-ray, and they can diagnose using machine learning, core ML and TensorFlow, mm-hmm. um, what type of disease you may have, like within some certainty, you know, based on your sure. image, you could do photo cropping, you can do all this stuff in it. 
And they first went down the Xamarin Forms route. And I was like, yeah, it makes sense, whatever. And then they're like, wow, we're actually only targeting tablet. Like we're only targeting tablet and we have very, very specific X, Y, Z. And I go, oh, that's, that's interesting. Go, How many screens do you have? And they go three, we have three <laughs> screens. And I go, what's on those screens? That's yeah. the next question. And they go, well, one screen is a, um, taking a photo and cropping it and doing overlays. I go, Ooh, Ooh. Uh, okay. And I go, what's the next one? They go, well, it needs to be this dynamic view that we can add custom overlays on top of an image to show where in real time, where the, the percentages yeah. of the core ML are tender. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And what's the other one? They go, oh, that one's just a, you can hit a button on it. I go, oh, interesting. <laughs> I go, okay. So what you want to do is you want to start with a non Xamarin forms app, and then you're going to have one Xamarin form XAML page, and then the rest is going to be all custom, right? <laughs> yeah. But for me, I mean, because it's so small, like if they yeah. said, oh, well, we have one page that's highly customized, but we have a hundred other pages of data, I go, well, yeah, you do Xamarin forms. Uh, and that's how I look at it. So for me, how I start is if I'm building for phone or tablet, I basically go all in on Xamarin forms because I know it has the escape hatch where I can put in a custom control, I can put in a custom page if I want to. Um, and that's how I think about it. And most of my applications that I build aren't actually building something for that hardware, right? I'm not building a, I'm not building a, you know, uh, machine, not a machine learning, but an augmented reality game that's going to work locally with five players. But if I was, I probably wouldn't use Xamarin forms because it's not <laughs> what it's made for. You know, I mean, so that, it's yeah. a hard question to ask every app I look at a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. I think in that case, I would have just told him start with forms because it gives you good app architecture to start with. But then, yeah, you're just going to do custom screens for those other two parts per platform. I, I I do like having some architecture in my code. I think I'm on record of saying I hate all architectures, but at the same time, it's nice to, you know, at least follow the trends with everyone else so you can take advantage of any simplicities. You know, if, if they make binding better in Xamarin forms, you want to be able to take advantage of that. So it's important. Uh, Do you want to know a secret? <laughs> sure. They actually started with Xamarin Forms and then they architected it all MVVM. Mm-hmm. So when they transitioned like 75% of the application to non-forms, they actually had all the custom controls already written. <laughs> and all they needed to do is just handle the navigation and, and you know, finally tweak up the the stuff. And they're oh, like, oh, yeah. yeah, we just transitioned it over in like a day because all the code was shared. So you're, you're actually right. You probably <laughs> just start with Xamarin Forms. Let's just be honest. Better app architecture. And you can yeah. prototype fast, right? You can mm-hmm. prototype super fast. That's what I like about it. Yeah, I, I totally so. use it because you know what? UI table view and iOS is terrible. And I would much rather use a list view from Xamarin Forms, especially mm-hmm. in that early prototype phase. Or literally oh, yeah. any list view from anyone is <laughs> better than that. That's true. That's true. I wanted to go back to something we were talking about in the very beginning, though, or in, and we've kind of touched on it, um, but it's all the um, fiddly little detail bits that you have to do to make an app polished and good and ready to be shipped. And I think when we're thinking about this convenience thing, um, we, we're thinking about like file new project and how quickly can I get to a rough prototype? I think that's often what I think about in convenience. Mm-hmm. But then you start saying, well, can I get this to a polished state or not? How much work will it actually take to get to a polished state? 
And so I think that that's kind of the bigger convenience to think about here too, because there's always so much polish you have to do at the end of a project. All these little corner cases where the framework's really just not helping you out here. You have to write a custom control for this. You have to write a custom animation for that. It's just all that little fiddly detail work. I don't think that there's really any difference between doing that fiddly detail work in Xamarin Forms versus doing it in iOS using you know, just the normal SDK, you're still doing that fiddly, funny little work. I write custom controls in iOS all the time. That's a good point. In fact, yeah, if I think about how when I built the Evolve Conference app, <laughs> uh, the final two weeks, the final like week of development was all just tweaks and tunes and working with the designer. And on iOS, I needed a little bit this way. And on Android, <laughs> I need this color over here. And I was doing that even cross-platform, which was great. But you know what I was doing is I was just making platform UI tweaks and yep. tunes and things like that. And it could have been in the shared code. Sometimes it wasn't effect, so it was a little bit of code here. But you're right. I would have written the same code if I was just making an Android app. Yeah. And the benefit of forms is, though, that that code is kind of optional. Or when you do a little bit of work on one platform, it transfers to the other platform. Like, I actually enjoy the fiddly little bits. I love polishing an app and making it super mm -hmm. special. What I hate is repeating that work on a second platform and then a third, a fourth, a fifth. So I think um, if you're doing those fiddly little bits in forms or a cross-platform framework, then you're already kind of winning. Because, yeah, you might have to duplicate some of that work because that's what we get paid the big bucks for. <laughs> Our technology just isn't there yet. But, you know, it's a good starting place. Yeah. And what you have to realize is that no matter what framework native versus non-native versus cross-platform versus cross-platform native versus web technology, nothing's perfect. Nothing, yeah. not, not even... Apple's APIs are pretty great, but nothing's perfect. So you're going to have to get in there, tweak, tune, customize yourself. Or, you know, if you look at like Overcast, right? Ding the Marco bell. Mm -hmm. You know, Marco, he's done so much customizations to the UI table view, this and that and all these little things. And that's why if you go to CocoaPods or Nougat or Maven like repositories, guess what? There's all of these custom yeah. controls. People are doing all of this stuff outside of the core SDK because guess what? You have to at yeah. some point if that's your business yeah so. yeah and um just going back to uh performance in terms of actual speed speed they're all slow at certain things you know yeah. <laughs> like yeah. um forms you definitely take a little performance hit over the os but it's so minor compared to that performance hit you did by inlining the image source tag and it doing a web request on the ui thread you know it's it's a 30 percent increase whereas just writing a little function a little wrong can completely obfuscate and overwhelm that performance difference. So I'd, I wouldn't worry so much about the overhead of these high-level frameworks. If it's slow, then you have to write some custom code. No biggie. Yeah. I think we did it. I think we, I think we answered Sean's question. I think we <laughs> did amazing. I think so. It's a little amorphous. I hope we said something. <laughs> I hope so, too. Well, Sean, we would love to hear from you again, and we would love to hear from all of our listeners. You can go to mergeconflict.fm. You can write in an email. This was a beautiful, wonderful email from Sean that he sent us. There's a little contact button. You can go over there. You can tweet at us at mergeconflict.fm on Twitter. I'm at James Montemagno at Proclarum over there. Of course, if you're using Apple Podcasts, we would love if you leave us a review or star us on Overcast. And of course, like I mentioned earlier, you can check out all of our great podcasts by going to soundbite.fm soundbite.fm that's sound b-i-t-e.fm listen in and subscribe to all of our great podcasts so until next time there's been another merge conflict i'm james montemagno and i'm frank krueger thanks for listening
Peace.